Well, welcome back to the Building Peace Initiative at YouWantAPeaceOfMeOnline.com. This is John Van Bladel, and today's podcast is titled Growing Compassion. And as usual, I will be inviting the bell of mindfulness from time to time to slow me down a bit and let us consider what has just been said. And here's the bell, and when I ring it, breathe in and out three times together, slowly, and then we will continue on from there. Well, that was a quiet bell. I'll try not to be too loud with it. So as I was finishing my last podcast, Compassion, Spiritual, and Secular Perspectives, I found my mind drifting to various dictators and some democratically elected leaders uh, throughout the world who are presently causing a lot of harm. One that we have all heard about is Putin and his attack, his war on the Ukraine. Now, this is a brutal example of unnecessary harm being done on so many levels. Uh, In fact, what he's doing is the actual opposite of compassion. It's a merciless war designed to inflict suffering. It's an attack driven by fear, anger, hatred, and massive egos. Now, First, it affects the people who are being murdered in the war on both sides. Someone has decided that they no longer have the right to live. And they convinced others that the killing is just, that it's, a, that it's acceptable, heroic, or even one's patriotic duty to kill the enemy that has been created. Now, I just want to mention, this is a massive war, but we also have interpersonal wars between us and other people, or sometimes wars within ourselves that go on with that. So this is just a much, much bigger Uh, expression of some of the conflicts we have on a daily basis, Uh, and again, often driven by ego and ideology. Now this war, it affects those who are being directed to kill, and those who survive. Some probably do not want to kill, but they may feel that they have no choice. It puts them under tremendous pressure. They have to violate their own set of moral codes. Now, if you choose to assert yourself and oppose the war, at least in Russia, it would likely get you killed or at the least incarcerated. In any country, there are social sanctions and accusations of cowardice or even treason. Um, if you refuse to inflict violence on others, in this case, you're going to pay a price for it. So you're in what we call a double bind. Either way, It's a bad choice, and there's going to be some suffering because of it. Now, killing is clearly prohibited by religious ethics and secular law. It's deeply ingrained in our psyches and our culture. So the question is, how is it that these normal inhibitions against killing can be disabled? Now, there's an interesting book, Men Against Fire, The Problem of Battle Command, by a guy named S.L.A. Marshall, and he made the controversial assertion that in World War II, only 25% of men actually shot to try and kill the enemy. The rest missed on purpose. Now, the results of his research have been called dubious at best and fabricated at worst, but it does raise some important questions. Were soldiers really that reluctant to fire at an enemy? 
And there are numerous accounts and interviews with soldiers who struggled with this dilemma. It also presents a dilemma for the people leading the soldiers, because it's hard to win a war when you have soldiers that won't kill the enemy. So, ways of overcoming this reluctance to kill had to be developed. Now, I came across a site uh, that I'll post on the Building Peace Initiative website that addressed the business of killing, and here are some excerpts from it. How can soldiers be taught to kill repeatedly and efficiently without thinking too much or feeling too deeply? To enable recruits to use lethal violence without suffering emotional distress. Combat training is geared towards making recruits more comfortable with killing. And it continues. But I've just claimed that a morally decent person would experience distress in these circumstances. The upshot seems to be that military conditioning is, or tries to be, morally damaging or corrosive of virtue. This is very much in contrast to the heroicism. Is that a word? Heroism. <laughs> that is often... I was listening to John Green Crash Course the other day. I think his... He says pronunciation is a challenge for him. I thought it, I think it might have uh, <laughs> transferred to me. So this is contrary uh, to what people are taught about participating in warfare. Now, I actually find some of this inspiring to hear uh, that even in warfare is difficult to get people to kill each other and that there's a process we have to go through to eliminate the inhibitions and social sanctions against killing. Empathy has to be disabled and the antithesis of compassion fear, hatred, and a lack of mercy engaged. Now this is really disturbing to consider, that actual training, an educational curriculum to disable empathy and compassion, is actually developed and implemented. And we could expand that to our present culture when it comes to things like prejudice, discrimination, hate crimes. Um, it has been developed for a long, long time that some people are lesser than and deserve unequal treatment and or even death. I'd also like to note that the type of direct physical violence warfare that I'm talking about cannot occur without the presence of structural violence, and I just touched on that. Prejudice, racism, poverty, lack of education, and certainly um, not a focus on things like compassion. We have persistently been desensitized to each other's suffering through a process that be began long ago when we first began to define others as lesser than. This is often accompanied by the thought that some actually deserve their suffering, and to take it a little further, that we can actually have disdain for them. Now, returning to the global effects of this war, we've all felt the increase in food and fuel prices, and that's global, especially those people who are living in absolute poverty where a slight increase in the price of a food staple like rice um, or wheat can lead to risk of starvation. But have we truly felt the suffering of the people involved in the war? And we cannot escape all of the disruptions caused by a global pandemic exacerbated by the war in Ukraine. So leaders, or those who claim the role of leaders by fomenting fear, terror, and hatred, cannot commit such acts without the support of us, the majority of whom are just trying to live their lives. This does not only mean, this does not mean that we actively engage in warfare, but we passively support it, or I would say maybe actively support it, by not taking a stand against it. We remain silent. And remember Martin Luther King's Jr. Jr.'s insight? 
Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And so do the lives of others. So this deadening of empathy and compassion is something that has to occur if we're to cause harm to others. And a training designed to remove empathy and compassion for, from soldiers also raises another possibility. And that's what I'm getting to today after I talked about the war a bit there, using it as an example. If we can be, tra if we can be trained to disable empathy and compassion, we can be trained to embrace and apply it. If we have compassion as a foundation for our actions, we stop those who would do harm. Ideally, we will not only refuse to participate in causing harm, but we will not let others get into power that will encourage others to do harm. We recognize that their assault on us is an affront to our common humanity, now I have a perspective to share that is fitting. It's from Thich Nhat Hanh. Human beings are not our enemy. Our enemy is not the other person. Our enemy is the violence, ignorance, and injustice in us and in the other person. When we are armed with compassion and understanding, we fight not against other people, but against the tendency to invade, to dominate, and to exploit. And I really think that encapsulates... Uh, what I've been touching on today. It's ideology, misunderstanding, fear, and hatred that cause so many problems. And the antidote for violence? Well, it's compassion. And where can we go to learn about that? And there's a lot of um, information I'm going to post on the uh, Building Peace Initiative website today. Um, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall, Marshall Rosenberg. You've, I've talked to you about him before. Uh, Colin, Colin McCarthy has a lot of nice little readings. When I when I stumbled upon Tolstoy some years ago, I was really uh, intrigued by some of the letters he wrote, like Letter to a Corporal, Patriotism or Peace. Very interesting. Uh, and I'll give you a website for that. You can read uh, Matthew Ricard, The Happiest Man in the World, he may be known as. He wrote a book on altruism. Uh, anybody, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Dalai Lama, Christ, I mean... I talked last week about uh, how sometimes religions are a little off-putting to people, but I've said from the start, it's so many people are connected to religions that we can utilize that as a foundation, focusing on love, compassion, forgiveness, uh, and some of the more life-affirming qualities that some write about. So to close for today... I'm going to share the Charter for Compassion with you. Now, I don't know how many of you have been encountered the Charter for Compassion, but I did a few years ago, and I signed up for it, too, to support it. But uh, Karen Armstrong had wrote that one, and she um, did it on a TED, did a TED Talk, uh, and actually won an award for it, which in or a grant, I believe, which enabled her to write this Charter for Compassion. And you have to listen to it. it. It's really said nicely on the site. But she is a religious historian, and she begins with the principle, or the charter begins with, the principle of compassion lies at the heart of all religious, ethical, and spiritual traditions, 
calling us always to treat all others as we wish to be treated ourselves. That's the golden rule. Compassion impels us to work tireless, tirelessly to alleviate the suffering of our fellow creatures, to dethrone ourselves from the center of our world and put another there, and to honor the inviolable sanctity of every human being, treating everybody without exception, with absolute justice, equity, and respect. Pretty nice, huh? Quite an interpretation of the golden rule here. I'm not done yet. Hold on. <laughs> Let's see. It is also necessary in both public and private life to refrain consistently and empathically from inflicting pain, to act or speak violently out of spite, chauvinism, or self-interest, to impoverish, exploit, or deny basic rights to anybody, and to incite hatred by denigrating others, even our enemies, is a denial of our common humanity. We acknowledge that we have failed to live compassionately and that some have even increased the sum of human misery in the name of religion. Now that section is a little bit tough to read because, you know, I'll have judgmental thoughts. I'll have nasty thoughts. Uh, sometimes I'll say something unkind to another person about someone gossip, which is one of those compassionate communication guidelines that we're supposed to follow. But I'm human. I'm human too. And I think that one of the things that happens is, given an opportunity or an avenue to resolve conflicts directly, I will. But when we don't have avenues to devolve con to um, resolve conflicts, was that a slip? Devolve? Where's Freud when you need him? Uh, we don't have um, opportunities to resolve conflicts. Uh, they go underground. They come out, as I would say, sideways. Um, so we're all works in progress. We therefore call upon... Oh, wait a minute. Yes. Uh, we, let's see. We therefore call upon all men and all women to restore compassion to the center of morality and religion, to return to the ancient principle that any interpretation of scripture that breeds violence, hatred, or disdain is illegitimate, to ensure that youth are given accurate and respectful information about other traditions, religions, and cultures, to encourage a positive appreciation of cultural and religious diversity, and to cultivate an informed empathy with the suffering of all human beings, even those regarded as enemies. Pretty cool. And if you follow the teachings of Christ, this certainly would resonate you, or Buddhists, or just about any other religion out there. Now, final, final uh, paragraph. We urgently need to make compassion a clear, luminous, and dynamic force in our polarized world. Rooted in a principled determination to transcend selfishness, compassion can break down political, dogmatic, ideological, and religious boundaries. Born of our deep interdependence, compassion is essential to human relationships and to a fulfilled humanity. It is the path to enlightenment and indispensable to the creation of a just economy and a peaceful global community. Uh, see, that one gives me the chills. That, that is really, really a beautiful um, statement. So... Saying all this, I feel kind of bad because I'm not living up to this as well as I might like to. You know, I have fear and sometimes fear-based responses. Uh, but, you know, for those of you who really are hard on yourselves, what's going to happen is you're going to read this and say, oh, there's no way I'm going to live up to this. You don't have to. Just take a piece at a time. Just make little changes, that old 5% thing. If you make a 5% change somewhere, you'll probably get changes somewhere else in your life. So as I'm talking to you about these lofty aspirations that um, people have, remember, uh, it's hard to live up to them. I mean, you can go down to the Holocaust Museum 
down in Washington, D.C., and has a beautiful inscription, inscription on the side of it, and it's basically never again will we allow this to happen. Well, it opened in 1993, and a year later we had the Rwandan genocide, so there's all these beautiful words, and it's, you know, it's easy to say, wow, that's really hypocrisy, this isn't going to work. That's not the case. We're a work in progress. Remember, um, people have more human rights generally across the world than they have had in the past. That's important to look at. It's important to look at the progress. We still have a long way to go. Certainly in the U.S. we have um, <laughs> an attempt to roll back, teaching things like diversity, um, an attempt to continue to scapegoat uh, groups of people, uh, and continue to have prejudicial attitudes, which leads to discriminatory behavior against them. But we can continue to step up and demand that people be treated equally and equitably. So that's it for this time. We'll continue to talk about compassion next time. Uh, keep practicing meditation and mindfulness. Uh, you can continue, you can also continue to work on listening with the express intent of understanding rather than judging, beginning with not judging yourself. And remember, when you're judging people severely, it's probably something you internalized in your life. You got that severe judgment of yourself that comes out. So give yourself a bit of a break. And maybe you'll find giving yourself, giving other people a little bit of a break, having more understanding for them, and becoming less agitated sometimes by the environments that you may be existing in. You combine that with an informed, assertive compassion where you can tell people what your needs are and set limits, which is pretty tricky. And I think life gets better. So that's it for today. Wishing you all some peace of mind.